We're going to be diving into the scriptures this morning, um, and I, I've titled the message, uh, and we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 9 this morning, if you want to turn your Bibles there. And if you don't have your Bibles this morning, uh, we're going to have the scriptures up on the screen so you can follow along. But I titled this morning's message as, as a title of All In. And I thought it was really appropriate in terms of, of, of today, heart for the house, of, of giving out of our abundance and, and being all in and not just one slice of the pie when it comes to life or a relationship uh, with the God of the universe, that we would be people that would be all in. One of the things that we, we talked about in terms of who we are as a family is we want to be genuine and active Christians, right? And in order to be genuine, we have to be people that are all in. And if, if you, this phrase, all in, uh, uh, got any poker players in the house? Come on, somebody. Come on. I know some of you go recreational poker. You know what I mean? Don't get too crazy on me. You know, uh, this term, all in, right? Like, we, we understand what that means because it means that all the chips are on the table, right? Like, all the money's pushed to the center. You are going all in. And here's the, here's the realities of going all in as we kind of uh, just kind of helicopter around this topic this morning is it, it's got to be complete. When you go all in, you got to give everything you have. That's what, that's what we're talking about. It's not like, well, I'm just give a little bit of it. No, it's like I'm giving all of it. I'm putting all of it on the line, right? And, and it's going to be a commitment, right? Because after you go all in, it's like there's going to be repercussions, repercussions that's like I can't, I can't go back, right? I, 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 I'm making a commitment. I'm following through. And then lastly, you got to have confidence in order to make a decision to go all in, right? you you, you got to understand the decision you're making. you got to be confident in it. If you're going to make a decision such as going all in, right, you've you got to understand the decision that you're making. and you, you better be confident in that decision because there is so much risk involved. And I had us turn our Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 9 this morning. And we're going to learn a little bit from the Apostle Paul, who is a character in the Bible who is all in for Jesus. Now, just to give a little bit of a kind of a context for the Scriptures, uh, the New Testament, which is the last one-third of the Bible... This is, this is where we, Jesus, God in the flesh, comes on the scene, and before Jesus leaves, he sends his church. He says, I'm going to give you my spirit. I'm going to give you the power of my presence, and you're going to go do greater things than I ever did. And it's like, well, that's nice, Jesus, that you said that, but like, you know, how's that going to like look? So anyway, in the book of Acts, we see the early church, right? They begin to kind of take this commission. They begin to own this commission, and they begin to multiply. And it's amazing to know that a small group of people hundreds of years ago has now manifested it into the church of Jesus today, which is over what we would say it's about 2 billion people across the globe. You want to talk about a God of multiplication. There you go. A handful of people that were committed to a cause, that saw a, a God who died on the cross, but then saw him, walked with him, had conversation with him, ate with him in a resurrected state, took this message of understanding that Jesus broke the power of sin over our lives and carried it as a message to be distributed to give hope throughout the earth. And in the early book of Acts and in the early church days, there was this man named Paul who was a very religious guy. And he actually killed Christians. He was like a terrorist against Israel of that day, against the followers of God. And God met this man and completely wrecked this guy. He was on a road on the way to, to be planning to kill Christians, and God rocked him on the way, revealed himself, and, 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 and Paul's transformed. His life's transformed. He's actually referred to as Saul, and God even transforms him and renames him Paul to give him a new identity over his life of what he was going to do. And we see throughout the scriptures that Paul becomes this integral person who makes radical decisions when it comes to following God. Paul was a character in the Bible who was absolutely all in. And one of the things that Paul did is 
he wrote to many different churches as he, as he walked, as he followed God, as he shared the good news of what Jesus had done and the availability of God's hope for each and every person on the earth. As we read the book of Acts and, and read some of these journeys that he went on, one of the things that he also did is he would write to many different churches. And that's where we have diff many different books in the Bible. These are letters to churches. And one of the, the, the churches that Paul wrote to is a church in the, in the region of Corinth, the modern-day Greece, you know, the, this area of the globe. And we have the, the letters to the Corinthian church. And we're going to look in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And an interesting kind of perspective that Paul gives us in terms of what it means to be all in. Because here's what I believe for us, is that if we become all in people in terms of following, being followers of Jesus, when Jesus said we will do greater things than he did, I truly believe that promise. I truly believe that if we allow ourselves to be all in, not just kind of like, mm, God, I don't know, you know. It's like, what if we make the commitment to be all in? Because the promise is that we will do greater things than he did. And here's what I know when I read the Gospels and I read the stories about Jesus. Dude was healing people, miraculous healing. We are a church that affirms and believes that God still miraculously heals today. I'm a witness in my own life of miraculous healing and intervention. We, are, we, we believe in a God who can overcome anything. In some of our circumstances in life and some of the suffering that comes into our world, that God enters in at the perfect and the right time to allow us to lean on him, to allow his grace to overwhelm us, to be a God that even in the evil that exists in the world, his character and his consistent nature of being good is there for us at our disposal at every waking moment. How many of you guys know that God is outside of time, but he chooses to dwell in it with us? Our God is a good God. And Paul, when he came to know this God, he became all in. So we're going to pick up in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 as he's encouraging these Corinthian people. And we're going to kind of break this down this morning and, and talk about what it means to be all in from Paul's perspective. So 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 through 23. Let's, let's walk through this really quickly. Though I am free and belong to no one, Paul writes, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. Paul's, he's trying to be winsome, you guys. I love this. Verse 21, to those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. Can we pray this morning? Lord, thank you so much for your word, which is words of power. Lord, these aren't just words of ink on a page, but these are words that come to life. And when we actually go all in and allow these words to be deposited in our hearts, we begin to see things manifest in our life that go beyond the physical. Lord, we're thankful that you are a God that's greater, Lord God, than sometimes the things that we see. Lord, but we're also thankful that you're in the midst of the circumstances that are right in front of us even today. So, Lord, would you break in? in just a real practical and a real way for each and every one of us in the room today as we ponder what it means to be all in for you. Lord, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. amen. So I want to start us off with this, with a question. 
Has there ever been a time in your life when you made a decision or you went all in? When I think about some of the crazy stuff that I did uh, when I was in kind of, I think about my high school days, like middle school, high school days, you know what I mean? I was like, well, man, I look back, I'm like, I'm encouraged. I can't believe I did that, you know what I mean? So as I've been kind of like pondering some of these things that in my life, um, I started following Jesus uh, really seriously. I started getting kind of uh, integrated in a church about my sophomore year in high school, and I kind of always went to church with my parents or whatever, but I would say that this is the season where I just really caught, Jesus caught my attention. He did at this point in my life, and I thought, man, there's, I want to follow him. I want to make a decision to follow after those things. I want to I allow God as a, as a good father to be a father over my life, a spiritual father to help guide and lead me. And uh, make a long story short, uh, there was a time in high school um, where I was invited to a youth group, and um, this was kind of how I got integrated in this church. Uh, it was my sophomore year, and, and there was a new youth pastor in town, so some friends of mine invited me, so I went to this youth group, and it was amazing because I'll never forget it, my youth pastor, he preached a message called the pathway to heaven or the highway to hell. You know, it was like ACDC, I'm on the highway to hell. I was like, okay, I like that reference. You know, I'm in this. I'm a musician. You know what I mean? I'm like, okay. And he started talking about the realities of the differences. You know what I mean? Like, like hell isn't just this like ACDC concert, like, you know, guys with devil horns. I'm like, that seems cool. But he's like, when we talk about the realities of hell, what we need to simply understand is hell is just the existence of being in a state without God. And how horrible, how horrible is it to imagine such thing? Although we live in a broken world, to separate God out of the equation means literally, physically, things would fall apart. I love in Genesis, in the creation story, when it says that the Spirit of God hovered over the waters of the deep. But there's a sustenance to the fact that God keeps everything together. And I don't think in our right minds we can understand what separation from God even looks like. And many times in our pop culture, we've been influenced to like be told what hell is. But from a perspective of the Bible, we know that hell is separation, utter separation from God and his presence. And for those of us that live on this earth, whether we like it or not, we walk outside and we breathe in air and we see nature and we enjoy those things. Those are God's creation. That is evidence of who God is. So can you imagine for me a second of a reality of this life without those things? So my youth pastor, he preaches this message, you know what I mean? It was like, man... Where am I in my life? What, what path am I going? What's the trajectory of my life? And it changed my life because I was like, I think I want the pathway to heaven. You know what I mean? But here's what I know. The pathway to heaven, this side of heaven, um, you're, you're, you're getting into a journey with your God. You're getting into a relationship. Life's going to be messy. When you're like, I'm going to choose the pathway to heaven, it's not like life just gets perfect, right? It, that's not how it works. But God, once again, in his grace, allows us to, 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 to follow him. And he's a good teacher. He's a good guide. His voice will lead us. Yeah, we're going to be people that make, make mistakes, but he's always pushing us in the right direction to become more and more like him because our world needs him so desperately, right? We, we understand the brokenness and, and the things that aren't right in this world. We understand that there's evil that's prevalent in this world, and God gives us an alternative. So I'll never forget it. I heard this message. I was like, man, I'm getting fired up about God. And I, I remember I went over to uh, our lead pastor's house, and the youth pastor was living with him at the time. And I remember he asked me, hey, you play guitar? Like, dude, you should get involved on the worship team or whatever. I was like, okay. Like, I'm not very good. I, like, got kicked out of my Blink-182 cover band in junior high or whatever. You know, it's like, I, I just, uh, nobody got the Blink-182 reference. Like, anyway, they were the, it, 
I don't even need to say it. I'm moving on. Uh, anyway, uh, so, so I was just bad, right? I was bad at guitar, and he's, like, giving me an opportunity. I'm like, okay, you know what I mean? And it meant so much to me in that moment. I started getting really plugged in and really dialed into the youth group. And, and, and as I've shared before, like, we, we probably a youth group of about 75 people. This was a larger church, but from my sophomore to my senior year, that baby grew from 75 to about 550. It was like everybody in our high school was, like, coming to youth group. It was like, whoa, that guy's coming? You know what I mean? Didn't that guy just like deal drugs the other week? You know what I mean? It's like, this is awesome. You know what I mean? Like God is breaking in and changing people's lives. It's a miraculous time. But I'll never forget it. One of the things that kind of gave our youth group momentum is my youth pastor, he planned this, this, this youth conference and he called it sold out. It's kind of like an all in, you know what I mean? We're going to be sold out for the purposes and the plans of God in our lives. So we did this conference and we, we would all travel down and we planned it at a uh, uh, the Doubletree Hotel in, in Portland, and I grew up in the Northwest uh, region, Seattle, suburbs of Seattle, a town called Puyallup. So we would travel down a couple hours, go to, it was cool, like we got off site, went to Portland, got to hang out, did this whole conference at the hotel, and um, people were coming, and people were meeting God. So it was like this first year, we had this like momentum, and so we started planning for the following year, and it was like, we want to make sure that this thing is massive. Like, so one of the things that we did, our youth pastor did, is he got these shirts and he, and he simply just, it was just really simple. It was like a green shirt and a pink shirt. It was like one for guys, one for girls or whatever. And it was like, okay, just a date on it. It was, the date was March 18th through 20th, I'll never forget, 2005. This was the date of the conference. But that's all the t-shirt said. And the whole idea was, hey, you're just going to wear this shirt around. And people are going to naturally be like, why are you just wearing a shirt with a date on it? You know what I mean? It's like, hey, we're at this youth conference. So yeah, you wear it at school. It's like, dude, you guys should come. Like, it's a constant reminder where it's like, hey, let's get people. Let's invite people maybe that didn't go last time because we believe God's going to do something big. And God's going to do something special. And I'll never forget it because God spoke to me in an all-in moment. And this is what God said to me. I remember I was like in the lobby at youth group or whatever. And I'm looking at the t-shirts. And God was like, you're going to wear those shirts. And you're going to wear them every day until the conference. And I was like, what? You know, because it's like Christmas time. Like, we're talking March. We're talking about months. You know what I mean? I'm like, wait a second. What did you say, God? You know what I'm saying? And God was like, no, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna buy one of each, and you're going to alternate. So you're not super stinky. You know what I mean? It's like wash them, alternate them, because uh, it's getting very uncleanly, even though at the same time, nobody knows if I'm washing them, if I'm wearing them every day. So I'll say this. When I think about that time, my thought was, this is, this is going to be complete, God, if I do this. If I'm all in, I have to be all in, and it's going to be a commitment. I'm putting myself on the line, right? I'm going to have to have full confidence of this decision. And I actually did end up following through with it. And I ended up doing my senior project, actually, that year, uh, talking about this conference and planning this conference and kind of helping and being a part of this. And one of the parts of it, as I presented kind of as my senior project, was, uh, you guys remember me, I'm the t-shirt guy. You know what I mean? It's like, I wore this shirt and was constantly trying to invite people uh, to this conference. And here's what I know. It, it was a decision that, that was complete. I got to do this every day. In my senior year of high school, I'm sacrificing any style that I'd like to have because I'm going to be wearing a T-shirt every day. You know what I mean? Like, looks mean so much. It's like, I, you know what I mean? Like, I'm on the market. I'm on the free market right now. I'm just wearing a T-shirt, and it's kind of weird, right? Um, I had to be committed, right? I knew that it could have gone really good or it could have gone really bad. My reputation was on the line. T-shirt guy. Really? Am I going to do that, right? And then lastly, I had to have confidence. But here's... I had, I had utmost confidence because I was so passionate about what God was doing. I was like, I got to do this. There's no other option I have. I'm going to do this because I want to make a mark. 
I want to leave a legacy that goes beyond my popularity or who I am or my style, all these different things that it's like that could be my identity. But I was like so fired up about God. So um, I ended up wearing this shirt. And and this morning, I share that example of of going all in because I think about it and I'm encouraged by it today because I think about myself and I'm going, how has my faith kind of dropped off? You know, the Bible talks about childlike faith. And I think of that time and I'm like, how radical was I? I feel like the Holy Spirit, I feel like God spoke and was like, you need to go back to being as all in as you were. Sometimes we lose a little bit of our faith. We lose a little bit of our fire. Some of us maybe have been just distant from the realities of God for a long time. And you realize that maybe this morning, God, God wants to speak to you and affirm you and let you know that he loves you. He sees you. He cares about you. And he wants to light a fire underneath our lives so that we would be passionate about this world about this globe, about this life that we live, that it has so much purpose. So this morning, we're going to look at Paul's life, and we're going to look at this all-in attitude that, that, that he had when it came to Jesus in, in three ways as we looked at this scripture, and we're going to continue to kind of digest it together. So number one, if you're taking notes, um, Paul was all-in with people. Paul was all-in with people. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 will be up on the screens there, 19 through 21. Let's review this little first section. Though It says, he says, though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone, to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law. We're going to skip that and move on to so as to win those not having the law. So it's like Paul's just talking about getting himself into situations where he can be winsome, where he can reach people, where he can relate to people. He's, he's talking about being all in with people, right? God's heart is about people. God is trying to draw people to him to mend and heal the realities of our brokenness. The reality is that we are not perfect people, that we fall short of the glory of God, right? That we don't measure up in terms of perfection, but a perfect God that is in our life does. And he's gone before us, and he offers healing. He offers reconciliation with a God who loves us and sees us and cares for us. But, but Paul uses some pretty harsh language here, right? He talks about the word of being a slave, to other people. And what we need to understand is slavery and its injustices of what we think about in the West wasn't necessarily the same translated word of what's translated for us in the Greek in the New Testament. That word slave, technically it means this, give myself wholly to one's needs and service, make myself a bondservant to him. A bondservant basically was a household role uh, during the ancient Near East culture, which is a massively different culture than ours. For people, this was a role within the household, like almost like a maid, but this was like a family member that was designated for those maybe that didn't have a family. So the family model looked a lot different than the model, kind of the, the more nuclear model that, that, that the West is used to, right? But how many of you guys know families look completely different today? But the fact of the matter is, is Paul wasn't using this in negative terms. He's using it in a way to show us that we're committed people to the cause of others, right? We're willing to be people that give ourselves wholly to one's needs and service. And you might say, okay, like, but how, did, how extreme are we talking about? Like, how does that actually play out? 
Well, the biblical narrative kind of goes on, and it actually gives us a pretty, pretty radical example of what that actually looked like. So we're going to look at that really quickly in Acts chapter 16, verses 1 through 5. Okay, get this. It says this is Paul, so this is Paul traveling, sharing about God's hope, his goodness to so many people, as many people as he could. It says, Paul came to Derby and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived. Now, Timothy was this young uh, person who became a pastor that Paul mentored, and we have the, the, the letters to first and second, or first and second Timothy, right? So this is Paul. Those letters are letters that Paul wrote to the younger pastor, Timothy. But we're getting kind of a little bit of the narrative and kind of some of the beginning stages of this in the book of Acts of how they formed a relationship. But it says that Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. So for, during this day, that was a little dicey, right? To be kind of like ethnically Jewish and then the, the tension of being somebody who wasn't ethnically Jewish. There was this, this tension, this racial tension that existed. So Timothy came from this blended family, right? And it says this, it says, the believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. So Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. This would have been a divisive issue where the Jews that they were trying to reach and tell about Jesus the Messiah would have rejected him simply because he didn't have the Israelite mark, right? And if you don't know what circumcision is, Google it. No, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. Um, but figure out what it is if you don't know what it is. You know what I'm saying? And it says, as they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. Verse 5, so the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. The problem, he was, circumcised, he was not circumcised and his mom was a Jew and his dad was not. And Paul's like, we're trying to reach these people, but just simply because of the fact that you are a Jew and kind of mixed and blended and you're not circumcised, we don't, that's going to that's gonna be a barrier to actually for credibility. So you know what they did? The solution. He got circumcised, and many Jews came to know Christ in the coming days. Can we just talk about this for a second? I get it. Circumcision is a, is a current practice and medical procedure today, but it typically happens when you're not cognitive. You know what I'm saying? It typically happens when you're soon after the womb. You know what I'm saying? For, the ma for a male, right? So can you imagine cognitively being circumcised as a male just in order to serve someone else's needs? The Bible sets a very clear example of what we're talking about because we, we give ourselves a lot of wiggle room. Well, you know what I mean? Like all in, you know, it's like, you know, I'll just kind of be in there and People were getting circumcised so they could reach people. People were taking drastic, extreme measures because they were all in with the hope of God. How does that translate into the ways that we compromise so many times in our faith and so many times in what I would call sometimes our religious behavior, our religiosity? Because a relationship with Jesus shows that, man, well, we're all in. We're willing to go above and beyond just to reach somebody else who thinks differently than us, who has differences in opinion. These guys were ready to reject Timothy. He could have been like, you know what? They think differently. They believe different things. Screw them. Let me talk trash about them. You know what that is? That's the desires of the flesh. But God gives us a new heart, a new mind to say, hey, those are the people that reject me. Guess what? They're worthy of God's grace and love anyway. 
And God's going to help change and transform our hearts to love the very people we have categorized as enemies. Come on, if you created enemies in your life, God wants to transform that so you become a lover of those people. Stop rejecting that. Stop creating enemies and barriers with people who think differently than you, who act differently than you, who believe different things in you, and understand God might want to use you to reach those very people because our God is bigger than division. And he's going to call us to do some pretty insane things to do it. But will we trust him? Reminds me of one of the hardest decisions I had to make one time in my life, which was getting rid of my beloved dreadlocks. It's a picture of me in college. I tell people I had dreadlocks, nobody believed me. So I brought picture proof. Uh, yeah, I was with it. Yep. Uh, picture of me and Callie, yeah, when we were dating, you know, fresh. That was like the almost about to get engaged season, you know, the glory days, uh, leading into our engagement, you know what I mean? And uh, let me say, dreadlocks uh, for a, a white male with very straight, naturally straight hair, uh, it takes a long time for those things not to look absolutely ridiculous, and I don't even know if it ever got to the point where it didn't look ridiculous, you know what I'm saying? Um, but I was all in when I was like, okay, I, first off, you got to grow your hair out to have dreadlocks, and then you got to have somebody like dread them. I'd never done this before, you know what I mean? It was just like, hey, I'm in college, like, I'm all in. But I'll never forget, I got, I got, I got a job straight out of college um, as a junior high pastor at a church, a larger church in our denomination and movement, and um, I remember I was going to have a, I had a few meetings, and I had an interview with some of the uh, kind of lower staff, but then after I got hired, uh, kind of via a relationship through one of my buddies, uh, we were going in the next, like, that next week to kind of have like, do our, like, Bible reading with our, one of our executive pastors, and I remember asking my buddy, I'm like, does he know, like, I have dreadlocks or whatever, you know, because I'm like, it's kind of, you know, like, dreadlocks kind of communicate some different stuff, you know what I mean, like, I'm like, I don't really want our junior high parents to think the youth pastor is a pothead, you know what I mean, it's like, uh, you know, like, so anyway, I'll never forget it, I was like, I got to be all in, like, I got to be all in, because here's the deal, I don't want there to be any obstacle in terms of being a junior high pastor to reach my students or to build trust with my parents, so I was like, you know what, I'm going to cut these bad boys off. So I cut them off, and uh, it was a painful experience because they had to, like, tease all the ends out. You know what I mean? So I had a decent haircut, but they didn't just have to, like, shave me bald. Um, anyway, but, but here's what I know. I, I had to go all in. I had to go all in to actually do this stupid thing. And then I had to go all in to make the decision of, hey, what do I want my reach to be? What do I want my influence to be? When I think about the families, when I think about the, what I'm giving off, what, what am I giving off? Because it's like, you could be the person who's like, come on, I have freedom. I can have dreadlock. They can judge me if they want. You can have that perspective. You can go through life with a selfish perspective, always just thinking about, well, I got freedom to do whatever I want. Or you can go into a situation saying, you know what, I'm thinking about the people that I want to reach. I'm taking them into consideration. I'm choosing to be a bond servant to those very people. And it's so funny because when it comes to my hair, uh, somebody came into the church like a couple weeks ago. I was like, dude, what's, what's wrong with your hair? I was like, oh, man. So anyway, I'm growing out my hair. So I'm going all in, you guys. I, I say that because I'm, I'm growing out my hair again. And uh, not with necessarily the permission of my wife. So I just went in to go get an air cut, not a haircut. It's like, hey, prep me for the, the hair growth, you know, stage of like, I won't have to get a haircut in months kind of a thing. Um, so anyway, when you go, when you know, if you've been a person that has to do this, and you, you're trying to grow your hair out, you know you have to endure a stage called the awkward hair stage. 
I'm currently in that stage, so bear with me, church. Come on, somebody. But here's what I know. I am all in. I'm going for it, and I know I have to bear the burden of the awkward hair stage. Come on, somebody. We got to be all in. All right. So here we go. Let's question. I want to get really practical with us this morning. What are the ways you can serve and relate better to the people around you? Get really practical. What are the ways that you can adjust maybe some of your preferences and begin to allow your preferences to serve or relate to somebody that maybe is different than you? If you're a person that's been in church for a while and you just only hang out with churchy people, God might be wanting you to maybe adjust your preferences to begin to reach those who are far from him that maybe don't understand that God has given us a hope and an understanding and a purpose in this life. But how can you relate? Too many times people that come to church get stuck in the Christian bubble. But God, you know what he wants to do this morning? He wants to burst that bubble so we can reach out, serve, and relate and not be products of Christian subculture, but be true followers of Jesus because Jesus is for people. Amen? So with that being said, let's talk about number two, what Paul was all in with. Number two is this. Paul was all in with Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 21 has that, the parentheses section, and this is what it says in parentheses. It says, though I am not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law. So Paul's talking about the fact that he wants to serve people. He wants to relate with people. He wants to be literally a bondservant to people, but he also recognizes that he's under a different authority. What, what is Christ's law? Like, what does that mean? How can we kind of like summarize what that looks like. It basically means fulfilling the laws of God. If you read the Old Testament, it's filled with a bunch of laws, which is hard for us to understand. But what we need to know is that's how God related to his people in that season. But we live in a time when Jesus came and he was the culmination of our faith, broke the curse of sin, and offers us a new life. So Paul starts talking about, I'm not under obligation of all these old things, but I, I, I am serving under the law of Christ. And what is the law of Christ? Because we understand that Jesus said he fulfilled the law. So he didn't abandon it or reject it completely, but he fulfilled it. And we have a few kind of examples to help understand what, what, what Paul is talking about in serving Christ's law, right? One of those examples is in 1 Corinthians chapter, or not 1 Corinthians, but it's in uh, Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. It says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. So once again, when we're following after Jesus and his law, it becomes about others. It becomes about bearing one another's burdens. Who wants to do that? You know what I mean? But this attitude, this attitude to serve one another and carry the burdens so that we can be people that are there and trustworthy people that, that carry each other and help each other to this thing called life. And then I love Matthew 22, right? This guy comes up to Jesus, says, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? He's like, summarize it, Jesus. He's like, okay. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul and with all your mind, this is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Love God, love people. So we understand when we're talking about following Jesus, when we're following after God, we're talking about following the law of Christ, it has to do with loving God passionately, but also loving people. So we need to be all in with people, but we also have this tension of also understanding we're under the authority, first and foremost, to God. I remember in high school, my friends, they started to, to, to party a little bit, going to kind of like 
events on the weekends and like bringing the alcohol, getting the keg together. And it was kind of an interesting transition because this was a, a season where I was like, well, I'm starting to follow after Jesus. And I know like, hey, here's the thing, like I don't want to get caught up in some of these vices in my life that I, I know aren't going to be fruitful for my life. Um, so I started like having the perspective of like, all right, here, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go, I'm going to spread the love of Jesus at these parties, right? And then you realize really quickly, it's like, yo, I'm going to go get drunk and high so I can spread the good news. You know what I mean? It's like, wait a second, like, what, how does this work? And, and, and I think this, this happens for many of us, right? It, it's like you meet the reality of God and the goodness of God in your life, and God gives you moving in a direction. But it's like, how, where, where do we draw the line? What does that look like? What do I do? And I realized really quickly what would be fruitful for my life was to continue to be a consistent friend, to continue to be a consistent voice in people's lives. But hey, when, when, when people are doing stuff that I don't want to partake in, I don't necessarily need to be there. So the decision that I made was, hey, I need to have good boundaries in my life. I need to be a person that, that creates clear boundaries and understand that, hey, you guys can do that thing. That's chill. I'll still be your friend. I don't want to actually like hang and roll with you guys when you do that. But on the other side of it, I want to be a, a voice and a consistent friend in your life still. You know what ended up happening for many of my friends or acquaintances during that time is I realized who my true friends were. Because I realized when it came to the alcohol, when it came to the whatever, they would rather do that than ever actually spend quality time outside of it. It became about all about the alcohol. It became all about the party. And it became all about that. And it had nothing to do with actual relationship with people. And I realized really quickly who my true friends were. Who are the ones who actually truly have my back, have actual relationship, care about my life, care about the things that I've been with, went, went through, care about the things that I'm moving forward in in my life, right? But we got to have boundaries. And here's what I know. Sin or, or falling short of perfection, those things can spread like a wildfire, right? you got to have boundaries when it comes to your life. If you're going to be friends and rolling with people that are doing some crazy stuff, right, we still have to, we're still under submission of the thing that God's pushing us forward in when it comes to human flourishing on this earth. So there's this tension, but, but, but these things, sin can spread like a wildfire. And I, and I say that, it's like, what do you mean by fire? Well, I love when the Bible says bad company corrupts good character. We have all these kind of examples throughout the scripture, these proverbs and these words of wisdom that talk about, man, there could be some, God could be doing something so good in your life, but how many of you guys know people sometimes pull you into pits? If you surround yourself with the wrong crowd, are they pushing you in the right direction? Or are they pulling you down? And it's kind of the same thing with relationships. It's like a wildfire. What do I mean by that? You think about a house, you think that fire needs to be in the appropriate place, right? And when you take and you put fire in the inappropriate place in a household, let's say out of the fireplace, out of the candle that's supposed to be lit, what happens? The house has a tendency to burn down to the ground, right? And God has given us a way to live life, to say, hey, let's orient the right things in the right place. And when we get those things out of order and the fire begins to, the relationships of our life that are like fire get in the wrong place, it has a tendency to burn our lives to the ground. So we have to be so sensitive in terms of what it means to follow Jesus. And it's going to be different for everybody. But what I'm saying is it, we have to have boundaries. We have to understand where things need to be oriented in our lives. So first and foremost, we can continue to be effective in following God and encouraging others to go the same direction as us. Amen? Friendships are like the fire because here's what I know. In friendships, you can get burned. I've been burned. Many of us in the room, you can think about a relationship in your life where you feel the scars of what it, what it felt to be burned by somebody else, right? 
Things get messy. Life gets messy. But we need to keep our eyes and our focus on the perfect one, who is Jesus, who heals, who mends, who picks us back up, maybe when we go a little bit off course and gets us back on track. So next kind of practical question I want us to take away with this morning is this. Where do you draw the line on how you serve and relate to people but still obey Jesus? Where do you draw the line? If we get that up on the screen there. Where do you draw the line on how you serve and relate to people but still obey Jesus? This is a really practical question. Where, where's the line? And some of us, well, you know, and then we end up getting in some really sticky situations, right? We have to understand that God's way is better. We have to understand that the compass of life, when we give that authority to God, he promises fruitfulness. He promises overcoming. He promises healing. He promises transformation. But so easily we can prioritize things incorrectly and get ourselves into trouble. So what does that look like for you today as you're, as you're making a commitment to go all in, right, with people and with Jesus, as Paul illustrates so beautifully. And lastly this morning, last thing I want to talk about about going all in is, is Paul, man, he went all in with people getting to Jesus. Because here's the deal. You can be all about people, lover of people. You can be all about following God. But the whole point of this whole thing is God's like, let's connect those two things together, right? Let's allow our lives to be a fluid kind of uh, pipeline of allowing your faith to be so practical that people are like, hey, you have an influence in people's life where it's like, let's, let's bring people in the right direction for their lives towards, uh, towards Jesus himself. Let's finish off with 1 Corinthians 9. It says, to the weak I became weak to win the weak. Paul says, I've become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I do this all for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. I love what, what Paul is illustrating here. And he's talking about the weak. Who are the weak? And I know that Paul, you have to understand, Paul is referring to a specific scenario of, of Jewish people during this time who struggled with this idea. Jewish food law said they couldn't eat such certain foods, such as pork. So pork became this massive issue. And I don't know about you, but I'm a pork lover in the house. Come on, somebody. If you like some good barbecue, then you know what I'm talking about. So this became an issue because people are like, hey, pork, come on. And, and Jesus uh, understands he's fulfilled the law, and one of the things that issues becomes is food. And, and, and Jesus shows that what was once forbidden for the people of old is now something that's no longer forbidden. So there's this tension. So Paul starts talking about the weak, meaning that those who still feel a conscience decision towards eating. They just feel like, hey, this is a decision that I need to kind of abstain from certain foods. Um, so Paul talks about it because you, you have the freedom to eat that. So this became an issue, but so how does that really apply to us? It applies to us in understanding that the weak represented in our modern day is all of us, because all of us have different vices. All of us have different problems. All of us have different inklings where we've been broken, we've been marred, where we lean in a direction, we have different vices or things in our lives that kind of define the brokenness of what God's putting back together. And many times that's no, that's no one's fault, right, other than the realities of sin that exists in this world. It has kind of marred and tainted the realities of this life in our humanity. So the, the weak are all of us. So who are your weak? Who are, if we're talking about the object of people, who are your weak? These are people who have weaknesses or vices in certain areas that aren't your own. Different personal convictions, right? Weaknesses that look different than yours. But how many of you guys know that you can cause 
somebody else to sin in something that you choose to participate in that's not necessarily sinful, right? You can be a catalyst to lead somebody in the wrong direction simply because of the freedom that you have. So this becomes a really interesting issue. Let me give you an example. I'm a lover of hip-hop music. Yes, I know. Um, might seem weird, but I love it, okay? I like hip-hop. Um, and here's the deal. I would always, like, bump hip-hop in my car uh, when I actually had, like, a decent stereo or whatever. It's, like, it's tough now because uh, I drive a beater. So it's, like, the speaker's, like, <laughs> you know. Um, anyway, so in college I had a buddy, though, who, who was really interesting. He, in Bible college I had this buddy whose his testimony came from his, his past, came from being really involved in the hip-hop industry, and he was telling me about his testimony. He was telling me about one of the things and the vices of his life is that even when he hears like a hip-hop beat, and I'm talking like Christian radio, like, you know what I mean? The most purified form of hip-hop you could have, it got his mind to a place that took him and resorted him to a place that he thought about about his past that, that got his heart and his mind to a place that wasn't healthy. He's like, you can't even throw on a Christian hip-hop. It doesn't matter because it takes me back to that place. So one of the things was like, hey, I know when I hang out with this dude, I got to turn the hip-hop down in my car. You know what I'm saying? Like, I understand that as a friend, as one who bears another, one another's burdens, my preferences are like, yeah, I'd like to, I'd like to listen to that, but I'm going to choose to because I actually care about this human being. I'm going to be a bondservant to the things that I know exist in your life. But how many of you guys know it takes an intimacy to know somebody and know those things, and then it actually takes a decision to make the decision to actually serve them? How are we connecting those dots? How are we finding people in our lives that maybe think differently, befriending people, and actually serving those needs? Building relationship where people are at. Bearing the burden of conviction, viewpoints, differences with empathy and compassion. We lack a lot of empathy and compassion in our culture today. If you don't agree with my viewpoint, zero compassion or empathy is typically expressed. If that's what the world is doing, you know what Christians need to do? Step up. Be all in with the grace and the goodness of God. Rather than cutting people off in relationship, understand that it's tougher to build a bridge and be filled with the Spirit and listen to the voice of God and be in relationship with God to lead you to places that you never thought possible. This is what God's, our God is a God of reconciliation. He is a God of redemption. And guess what? He actually wants to use you as a vehicle to do that. But that's tough, and it takes a dependence upon the power of God and a relationship with the God of the universe to even have the right inklings of direction to be able to do such things because we will always rely on our old self, our flesh, our selfishness, that life is all about me, but God reorients our life and allows us to be a vessel of change and unselfishness. Here's what I know, the flip side of the week. How many of you guys know the weak can get really, or can get really judgmental uh, about the strong? Well, you have the freedom to do that. Well, I'm weak in that area, but you just begin to impose your weaknesses upon other people. Here's what's really interesting. Here, I'll share a little bit about kind of my weakness, part of my biology. I, I had a biological dad who had an issue with alcohol. So I've made a decision that I, I'm not going to drink. Um, and that gets really interesting in situations because I know social drinking is, is not wrong, right? 
having a drink isn't the, the error. The error is when it, it gets to a place of you are no longer in control and you're a person of drunkenness because God knows when you are out of control, you're inviting other things other than his power and his control into your life, right? Be filled with the spirit, the Bible says. Don't get drunk on these different things because all you're doing is inviting a different compass into your life to move you to make decisions that aren't going to be fruitful. If you want to flourish as a human being, God, God, God forbids certain things not to be like heavy-handed, but to say, hey, learn and understand what an abundant life is going to look like. But here's what I know. As somebody who has decided to say, I'm not going to drink a drink, and here's what I'll say, like, there's been a few occasions where I've, where I've drank, right? It's like, hey, we're on a honeymoon, rum punch on the cruise in Bahamas. Like, sure, I'll have a rum punch. You know what I mean? It's not like completely forbidden. But here's, I'm not a social drinker. Here's what I know. I have buddies who are Christians who socially drink. It's so easy for me. It could be like, well, judgmental, right? Like, what? Shame on you because that's my personal conscience and conviction based out of my biological DNA. I don't want that to be an obstacle to be a fruitful father, a fruitful dad, to flip around the generation of the Davis name and lead and be the dad and be the husband that my dad couldn't be for me. Come on, somebody. God wanted to flip that around, but here's the deal. That gives me no right to judge somebody else. Do we understand that for a second? We, but so often this is what Christians do. We have our little things and we begin to just throw and cast judgment. But it's so, here's the thing. So guess what? I hang out with my buddies sometimes. It's like, hey, we're going to go grab a drink, get some bite to eat, and I'm sitting there with them, and you could so easily, this is the thing, we're like, well, I don't judge them, but then you become like the awkward, like firm person who's just like, it's obvious that you're super uncomfortable. Loosen up. Be relatable. Don't make it about the object, but understand once again, we are people to be relationally driven. God might be speaking something in some people's hearts this morning because you've just been so uptight, and you've been the opposite of the weak. You've been maybe, maybe, maybe on the flip side of it, and you've, you're, just, you're just being really judgmental, and you're creating barriers to bear one another's burdens, to build trust with another person, to be a consistent voice in their life, to push them in the right direction. Don't break it if it's your conviction, but don't press it, because that's a thing called self-righteousness. Here's what I know. People in church are really good at that for whatever reason. Don't break it, but don't press it. Common ground. Common ground. How do we find common ground, even in some of our disagreements? But back to the point. Why should I become weak for somebody else? Because you are blessed to be a blessing. It does not end with you. You are built to be a person of relationship that pushes others in the right direction of their life, especially those who are far from the realities of God. Here's what I know. I want people to experience the Jesus that I've experienced. That's my heart. I want a, people to experience the God who is patient with me in those seasons of error, who is patient with me in some of the cir current circumstances of my life that still express brokenness. God is still patient. When you say yes or you just say you're going to follow Jesus and you believe the lie that everything's just perfect, you become a very religious and unhelpful person. But if you live in the realities of grace, you understand there's nothing you can do to earn it, but God gives his grace as a gift. And that gift is something he wants to express to every single person that you found yourself in that same position with. Right? We can all relate because we are all broken human beings, but God gives us the opportunity to be people that bridge the gap 
and merge people in the realities of God through his son Jesus together. Here's what I'll say. There's a lot of phony Jesus being represented in our day and age. And I'll, I'll tell you this, it doesn't have to do with watered-down preaching and all these things that people create excuses of. It has to do with people that don't know how to love. Because the world's, the world's telling us that. And we can get mad at that, we can create excuses for that, or we can actually choose to be bondservants. We can choose to be all in with the cause of God. This needs to be us. Like I said earlier, we have chosen to be a church that's genuine and active in the love of Jesus. Genuine and active. We do not want to be fake religious Christians, but we want to be people that actually are humble and allow the transformation of God in our lives to begin to apply to other people's situations where it pushes people in the right direction. God has allowed us to be a vehicle of change in this life. So the last question as we, as we conclude this morning is how are you going to change today so that you can help get people to the true Jesus. The Jesus, the same one who sacrificially bore the scars of his body, died an excruciating death for the purpose of somebody else. None of us, some of us in the room, we never get to that situation where we feel so abused by somebody else where they're literally physically being harmful to us to have an opportunity to turn around and still choose to be a bondservant. But that's what Jesus has done for us. He's given us the bar. And we're going we're gonna to struggle. We're going to be imperfect all the way. But we need to keep the compass in the same direction, pointed towards him, becoming more and more like him each and every day. Here's what I know. I was blessed and continue to be blessed to have people that represent the true Jesus in my life. People that picked me up when I didn't believe in myself. People that saw an insecure kid who got kicked out of his garage band in junior high to believe in them and say, God has a plan and purpose for, for music that you're passionate about, but maybe nobody else believed in you. I'll believe in you. That was Jesus in that moment. That was Jesus in those moments where I didn't believe in myself, but people spoke into my life and spoke things over my life where I didn't have a confidence or I didn't have a, a security, but that took relationship and belief. I remember the early days of saying, I want to say yes to Jesus, and I was a really black and white religious type of person who didn't really extend too much grace. But I remember there was people in my life that it still extended me grace and still believed in me, still were patient with some of the things that were unhelpful in my life. Can we get to that level with other people? Can we invest in other people at that level? Can we follow in the picture and the plan and the purposes of Jesus to a level where we're saying, God, we are all in. People looked at me and said, I believe in you. And here's what I know. God himself, he believes in each and every one of us. But it's up to us to make the decision to be all in. Amen?